Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is February 5th. Today is the beginning of a brand new Come Follow Me block and this week we're going to be studying the book of John chapters 2 through 4. And so there's so much to study in these chapters. I love the book of John. And in John chapter 3, we see arguably the most famous scripture from the New Testament. And so I'm excited to jump in and study the book of John more with you this week. But for now, let's start out at the beginning, John chapter 2. Now, I mentioned yesterday in John chapter 2, we're going to see what's considered to be Christ's first miracle. Now, I know yesterday we talked about the miracle of cleansing the leper and other miracles that he had done in Galilee. We're actually going to go back in time a little bit because it's believed by most biblical scholars that the turning of the water into the wine was his first miracle. And so we're going back in time just a little bit for these chapters. So let's start at the very beginning. John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now let's pause there really quick to talk about something that I hesitate a little bit to mention because as far as I know, it hasn't really been spoken of much by the prophets and apostles, but it is thought by a lot of people that this marriage was the marriage of Jesus. Because there's something really interesting here where Mary is so concerned about the fact that they've run out of wine. And people point to that and they say, well, why would she have been so concerned if this wasn't her family? And it's known that for Jesus to have been accepted as a teacher, a rabbi, anything like that in the Jewish religion, he would have needed to have been married. That was part of their custom and part of their tradition. And so a lot of people look at those two things together and they say, oh, well, this has to be his wedding. This has to be his marriage. It's interesting. Several years ago, a book called The Da Vinci Code came out. I'm sure you've heard of it, if not read it. And it's interesting in that book they talk about this idea of Christ having been married. And they talk about that idea of him being married as if it limited his divinity. And as I read that book, as a college kid, I thought, that seems ridiculous. In fact, we as LDS people, understanding the importance of marriage, understanding that it's an essential ordinance, we should be the most open to the idea of Christ having been married. So it was so funny to me to read that book and see people use the idea of Christ being married as perhaps making him less divine, when in my mind that points even more to his divinity that he understood the importance of marriage. Now that being said, it's also important to note that traditionally in Jewish culture, it would have been the bride's family that would have been in charge at this wedding party, that would have had the responsibility of feeding people and giving people wine to drink. And so that in and of itself is a pretty good evidence, I guess, that this maybe wasn't Christ's marriage. Maybe it was a sister's marriage. But then again, why would Christ's disciples have been coming to Christ's sister's marriage? So there's a lot of ins and outs there. Suffice it to say, it doesn't really matter all that much, but it's interesting to think about. In any case, we know that there was a wedding party that for whatever reason, Mary felt responsible at this wedding party. And when she saw that they had run out of wine, she came to Christ. 
Bruce R. McConkie said in the book of the Mortal Messiah, we cannot avoid the conclusion that between Jesus's 12th and 30th years, there were many marvelous and miraculous things of which Mary knew. It would stand to reason that, of course, Mary knew the divinity of her son, but she also had an understanding of his marvel and his miracles. And that's why she comes to him in this moment, anxious for him to do something about this problem that she has. And now let's take a look at what Christ says to her. But before I read this, please keep in mind that this is going to sound different to our modern ears than it did back then. Verse 4 says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. First of all, notice there is a Joseph Smith translation here. He changes it to, Woman, what will thou have me do for thee? That will I do, for mine hour is not yet come. But even that term, woman, can kind of rub our ears a little wrong with our modern day speaking and vernacular. But I think it's so important to understand, first of all, that that Greek word that's used to be translated there is the same word for mother and woman. So to say woman there, chances are he was just saying mother. And the second thing is, in that day, the term woman was a term of respect. Every time we see the Savior use that term throughout the scriptures, it's to someone that he loved and respected. So very, very different than the way sometimes we use it or hear it in our modern day understanding. So essentially, he's saying, what would you like me to do for you? Mine hour is not yet come. And I think that that's an important thing to understand. His public ministry, his time of public miracles hadn't begun yet. And so he's saying, what would you like me to do? I'm haven't publicly worked miracles yet. So what would you like me to do for you? Now listen to what his mom says. This phrase that Mary's going to use speaks volumes. Verse five, it says, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That absolute trust in the savior that anything that he tells you to do, follow him, do it. A few years ago, Elder Clayton gave a talk called Whatsoever He Saith Unto You, Do It. And in that talk, he says this, We usually remember this event because transforming water into wine was a demonstration of the power of God. It was a miracle. That is an important message. But there is another important message in John's account. Mary was a precious and chosen vessel called by God to give birth to, nurture, and raise the very Son of God. She knew more about him than anyone else on earth. She knew the truth of his miraculous birth. She knew that he was sinless and that he spake not as other men, neither could he be taught, for he needed not that any man should teach him. Mary knew of his extraordinary capacity to solve problems, including one as personal as providing wine for a wedding feast. She had an unshakable confidence in him and his divine power. Her simple, straightforward instruction to the servants had no caveats, no qualifications, no limitations. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That absolute trust that she had in her son because she knew him and knew who he was is a beautiful example for us. My friends, in our lives, we will be asked to do things, maybe things that we don't necessarily understand. But when we come to know the Savior, 
and we come to trust the Savior, we have strength and power and confidence to say as Mary did, whatsoever thing he asks of thee, do it. Elder Clayton continues in that talk. He says, when we decide to do whatsoever God saith unto us, we earnestly commit to align our everyday behavior with God's will. Such simple acts of faith as studying the scriptures daily, fasting regularly, and praying with real intent deepen our well of spiritual capacity to meet the demands of mortality. Over time, simple habits of belief lead to miraculous results. They transform our faith from a seedling into a dynamic power for good in our lives. God asks us to bear with Him, to trust Him, and to follow Him. He pleads with us to dispute not because ye see not. He cautions us that we shouldn't expect easy answers or quick fixes from heaven. Things work out when we stand firm in the trial of our faith, however hard that test may be to endure or slow the answer may be in coming. I am not speaking of blind obedience, but of thoughtful confidence in the perfect love and perfect timing of the Lord. When we trust Him and follow Him, our lives, like water to wine, are transformed. We become something more and better than we ever otherwise could be. Trust in the Lord, and whatsoever He saith unto you, do it. My friends, I testify that as we come to know the Lord, we can better have trust in Him. And as we trust and obey, our lives are transformed. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.